Hey, good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's awesome to have you with us. Hello to those of you in our parent viewing rooms. Uh, that's a great option if you have small children that you prefer to keep with you during the service. And hello to everybody joining us in our online campus as well. Awesome to have you participating with us through that venue. And uh, I've got my Say Yes shirt on. So uh, I see people with this, and anybody that's wearing one in the lobby, I just walked over and I go, Yes. It's just a stupid dad joke. It's all right. It'll hit you later. And uh, so we've got all of these uh, uh, out on there. Uh, the way that the church operates is we're a very volunteer-driven church. And so uh, there are hundreds of people that volunteer in all kinds of different roles. And yet as we continue to move forward into 2022 and uh, the season that we're in, uh, we always need more people jumping in. And we're not really complete as a church without you doing your part and serving in a role somewhere because you were created by God to do something and to participate with God's family. And so um, there's some opportunities there. If you're not currently serving in a role somewhere, check those out. Find somebody with a Say Yes t-shirt and then say yes. <laughs> it's awesome. So this is uh, brainwashing, subliminal messaging, uh, or just encouragement is what we say. Uh, so glad to have you here and would love for you to check that out on your way out today. The other thing I wanted to let you know before we jump in is uh, some of you are checking out Westbridge for the first time. Uh, maybe you're checking out Westbridge Church uh, for the third time, or maybe you've been coming for a few months, but we've just never had a chance to personally connect. I would love to just say hi to you and connect with you one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. And so uh, myself and my wife, we're going to be hanging down right in front of the stage here right after service. And if we've never met before, I would love for you to come say hi. I would love to just connect a name and a face and uh, uh, answer any questions you have about the church and uh, just connect for a couple minutes. So we'll be there right after service. If, you'd, uh, if we've never connected before, come say hi. And now we are uh, in the last week of a series called Vital Signs. And the goal of this series has been to check our health. So when you go to the doctor, the first thing they do on a basic checkup is they do your vital signs, right? They, they take your, uh, your pulse, your blood pressure, your temperature, and they check your breathing. And so it's just this baseline of health. And we've been looking at these vital signs as we move into 2022. What does it look like to be healthy in different areas of our life? And so we said the very first week, here's some spiritual vital signs. Like this is kind of basic spiritual health. And then last week, relational vital signs. This is what it looks like to be healthy when it comes to our relationships. And so today uh, we're going to wrap up this series and we're going to look at financial vital signs. And I know what you're thinking. Yes, I love when the church talks about money. I'm very aware that uh, many people have this perception that the church is just all about money. Okay, so if you've not made a decision to follow Jesus, maybe you're exploring what faith is, you're exploring what this whole God thing is in church and all that kind of stuff. I hope that today is inspiring for you. I hope that uh, today is just an opportunity for you to listen and to be inspired. And my prayer is that you'll, uh, you'll be able to listen to this topic in a way that is... Uh, not, it's a topic that can be confusing and misunderstood and oftentimes in churches uh, sometimes can be abused. And what I want you to know is we're going to tackle this, this issue and this topic of finances, but we're going to do it in a healthy way and we're going to do it without guilt or manipulation. And so this is just an opportunity for you to listen. And uh, if there's something that stands out to you, that there's some wisdom that you can apply, we'd love for you to do that. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, you've said, yes, I want to be a part of God's family. I want to live my life following God's way. Uh, then this is not a place for you to feel guilty. That's not our goal at all. But it is a place, I believe, to respond in obedience once we discover what what Jesus teaches. And so as we're made aware of uh, what the scriptures teach and what Jesus models for us and teaches for us, uh, that we respond in obedience as we do our best to follow him. And I sincerely believe, based both on scripture and my own experience, that you will discover God's teaching on money is the best way to invest your resources and to live your life. 
And yet, I also know we don't often arrive at that clarity overnight. Uh, it kind of reminds me of Magic Eye books. I don't know if you remember this. This, this was all the craze in the early 90s. Uh, the first one came out in 1992. The Magic Eye book was a, a series of pictures that looked like nothing, but if you stared at them long enough, eventually the 3D image kind of like popped out at you. In fact, we'll put one on the screen here for you just so you can uh, kind of get a visual reminder of what these were. Maybe you remember these or, or maybe you're too young to remember these, but you're like, oh, I've seen those before on the interwebs. And here's the truth. Uh, I remember as a kid, uh, you know, I would look at these and I'm just like, oh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to see the picture. I could stare at these things forever and it would never. And everybody would be like, oh, yeah, look at that. I see it. It's a dinosaur. It's a mountain. You know, it's a, it's a steamship or whatever. And I'm just like, I don't see it. And then I remember one day, I finally, after staring at it for a long time, I'm just, all of a sudden it like, it popped out at me. And I'll never forget. It's like, oh, there's a dolphin jumping out of the water. And once you see it, you can't unsee it, right? It's like your eyes have adjusted to this magic eye type, type of thing. And, uh, and in the same way, uh, it, when it comes to how we handle our finances, and particularly and when the authors of scriptures uh, teach on the topic of money and generosity, it sometimes takes a little while for us to get clarity around what they're teaching. And so it's not necessarily this overnight thing, but uh, once you see the picture clearly, it changes everything. And this is just a universal experience, isn't it? Uh, in, in the book of Proverbs, there's uh, some writings by a guy named King Lemuel, and he's actually writing about a woman who is praised for her character and financial leadership. And he actually writes this, she goes to inspect a field and buys it. With her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. She laughs without fear of the future. Now, I love that phrase because that just, to me, is a picture of peace. Wouldn't you love to, like, make that the story of your life? Like, yeah, he, uh, he just laughed without fear of the future. What a great descriptor. And there is a way to do that. But if we're ever going to get wisdom, and if we're ever going to experience that, uh, wisdom would suggest that we evaluate our financial health. But there's some peace that comes with financial health. And here's what's awesome about today. Uh, whether you are, have a faith background or not, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, or you're just simply exploring faith, you can apply this to your life. And even if you're not a church person or a Jesus person, you can actually apply what we're going to talk about today, and it will make a difference in your life because it's just good wisdom. It just makes sense. And so let me ask you this question. What would, uh, what would you do if you won the lottery? If you're watching online, type your response in the comments. What would you do if you won the lottery? What would be the first thing you'd do? It's amazing to think about, isn't it? And it's something that we all think about from time to time because if you're anything like me, you're driving down the freeway and you see the Powerball is now at like, you know, $380 million and you're just like, oh man, I wonder what I would do if I had $380 million. You're like, okay, so really I would end up with, you know, I'm doing the math because half of it's going to taxes. I'm taking the lump sum first, right? And you're going through all this in your mind. And then you're like, okay, so I end up, even if I end up with 150 million, dude, that's life-changing money. Okay, here's what I do, and I'm thinking through all this stuff. Would I move? Would I, you know, what would I, I would definitely fix that cupboard in my kitchen, you know? <laughs> and here's the thing. It's amazing to think about, and yet uh, it, you can see what happens when people actually do win the lottery. There's a guy named Brad Duke in 2005 who won uh, several million dollars, and he immediately set a goal and said, I'm going to invest this. And, and my goal is, if I invest this right, I could reach a billion dollars in my lifetime, make my net worth a billion. And he's well on his way to doing that. 
There's another guy in 2002, uh, Michael Carroll. He won $15 million. He was 19 years old. He spent it on partying, on fancy jewelry, tacky vehicles, and over-the-top gifts for his friends. He is flat broke. He spent all $15 million. And we kind of like groan, like, dude, why would you do that? And yet, studies tell us, and just flat out the statistics show that 70% of lottery winners go broke within seven years because they don't manage it well. They spend all of it. And even though that's the norm, we would all love a shot at winning, wouldn't we? Sometimes people ask me, like, if somebody from Westbridge, let's just say they played the lottery, they won the Powerball, right? They won the $380 million or whatever. They took the lump sum. And they wanted to tithe to Westbridge. Would you guys even accept that, knowing where it came from? And my answer is always, yes, in a heartbeat, yes. <laughs> we would. So what would you do if you won the lottery? Can I be honest with you? Whether you realize it or not, you've won the lottery. And I've won the lottery in so many ways. We have won the lottery in so many different areas of our life. When I was born in 1980, there were 4.4 billion people in the world. That, imagine a, a, a vat with 4.4 billion lottery tickets, and you pull one of those out, and that's got all of your information printed on it. It's got things like uh, gender, race, nationality, passions, opportunities, access to education, health, parents, IQ, personality, abilities, the region of the world you're born in. All of these things were things I didn't choose. I didn't choose any of this, right? And I, all of that's on one ticket. I was born February 2nd, 1980, and though I didn't realize it at the time, I won the lottery. I really did. I was born in the United States of America. I didn't get to choose that. And so only 15% of our world is considered developed country in the sense that there's high level of technology and infrastructure and relatively stable economy. And in the United States of America, we have more than enough food. We have access to clean water. I was thinking about this the other day. I was getting water at my fridge and it comes out, you know, in this tiny, this tiniest little stream ever and refrigerator water dispensers. And I'm sitting there and it's like, oh my gosh, this takes like 30 seconds to fill up, you know? And then I found myself going and, you know, there's a well at my house. It's got to pump it from a well, pumps it through, and then it goes through a filter. It cleans it. It sends it to my refrigerator. And I'm like, come on, it's still not fast enough. And we actually contribute as a church to well projects where we dig one well for an entire community to share and they got to pump it. And I'm not satisfied because the well that I own at my own house, that's my own well for my own family, isn't pumping it to my fridge fast enough. Think about that. It's fascinating, right? Freedom to say and do things that so many people around the world don't have the freedom to do and say. We have that in the United States. Lots of opportunities to make money all because of where we were born. And so I won the lottery. I won the parent lottery. I was born to two parents who love God. They love each other. They're still together. They loved me even more than my other siblings, which they told me all the time. Uh, they taught me the value of hard work. They modeled that for me, provided a consistent foundation for me. I didn't choose when I would be born. I didn't choose where I would be born. I didn't choose the opportunities I would be given. I didn't choose the uh, access to education that I received. And that's just a little bit of my story. And each of us has a story. And whether you realize it or not, you won the lottery in so many ways. We have been given so much. And that's nothing to be proud of or to be arrogant about because we didn't choose any of it. In fact, here's what we believe. The scriptures teach. Everything I have has been entrusted by God. Everything I have has been entrusted by God. It all comes from Him. Everything we have is a gift from God. Warmth and sunshine is a gift. We get to experience that here a couple weeks out of the year. It's amazing. Relationships 
are entrusted to us by God. Opportunities are entrusted to us by God. Influence is entrusted to us by God. Financial resources are entrusted to us by God. And followers of Jesus, they, they don't just view blessings in their life as some sort of random or good luck. We actually see them as something that God has entrusted to us that we can use to make a difference in the world. In Psalm 24, the author writes this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. It all belongs to him. And so, just as we shouldn't feel guilty if we have extra, we also shouldn't feel proud because we have extra, because everything we have has been entrusted to us by God. And if we're going to develop a good plan around our financial health and our resources and, and, and use our resources in a way that honors God, then we first have to recognize what we've been given. And our problem is that we often mistake possession for ownership. That because something is in our possession, we're the owner of it. And the truth is, God is actually the owner of it all. He simply entrusted it to us to make a difference in the world. That's why one of the best uh, sort of tactics of luxury car dealerships is they say to somebody who's doing a test drive, hey, take it home. Test drive it overnight. See how it fits in the garage, you know, and then bring it back tomorrow. It's an incredible tactic because the longer that something is in your possession, the more you start to feel like you own it. And so if you're doing a 15-minute test drive with the uh, car dealer guy in the passenger seat, uh, not as good of odds as if you actually drive that thing home and sit it in the garage and you're kind of looking at it and you're like, yeah, that looks good in my garage. That's actually my car. I'm going to go back tomorrow and pay for my car. It's a brilliant tactic because it's human nature to mistake possession for ownership. And sometimes we look at all that God has entrusted to us, and because we possess it, we think we own it. I love what David writes, and he, this is actually a prayer that is recorded in First um, Chronicles. It's a prayer of David, and he says this, Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion people are made great and given strength. O oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we, could act, that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. He goes, God, we're, he's making this offering, but in his prayer, he's like, God, here we are. We're bringing this offering to you. But the truth is, this is you're really the owner of it all. We're just giving back to you what you've already given us in the first place. That is the mentality that followers of Jesus have, that every good thing in this world is a gift from God, that life is a gift. And sometimes it's easy to forget that because we're the ones working hard, developing skills, pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I'm the one setting that alarm at 5 a.m. every day, you know, and getting up. And, and the truth is, we learn early on in Israel's history, Moses actually warns the Jewish people that if they ever become wealthy, they need to remember it's a gift from God. He actually writes this. He, speaking of God, did all this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. And because we're surrounded by so many gifts, because in, in the world that you and I live in, because we're surrounded with so many blessings, because we've been entrusted with so much, because we've won the lottery in so many ways, it can be really easy to lose sight of that. And most of us are reminded of the gifts we have only when we bump into people that have less than us. And because of the gifts and opportunities, we've got to ask these questions. These are the most basic questions you can ask about financial health. What have I been given, and how will I manage it? What have I been given? How will I manage it? 
When someone has been given power, when someone has been given influence, when someone's been given opportunity, when someone's been given financial resources, we believe there is a responsibility to invest it wisely. Not just financial resources, but anything that's been entrusted to us. And though we're talking about financial resources specifically today, really anything that has been entrusted to us, we are to ask these questions. What have I been given and how will I manage it? In fact, Jesus taught this about the blessings we receive. This is directly from Jesus. He says, when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. And so this is about taking and understanding, God, here's what you've entrusted me with, and here's how I'm going to manage that in a way to move your kingdom forward. And when it comes to what we've been given, how are we going to manage it? How are we going to leverage it for something bigger than ourselves? And if we're not careful, here's what starts to happen. We fall into what is called the assumption of consumption. The assumption of consumption is this. I assume that if it comes to me, it must be for me. I assume that anything that comes to me must be for me. And so uh, if I increase what comes in, then I simply increase my lifestyle to match that. But isn't it possible that God is bringing something to me so that I can do something that is greater than me? I can invest it in something that makes a difference. Now, this is important. It's easy to listen to this and think, okay, well, God is against wealth. He isn't. He isn't against wealth at all. And the problem isn't wealth. The problem is most people who have wealth, most people who have extra, have never stopped to determine why God has given them extra, why they've been entrusted with wealth. That's why the Apostle Paul, in his letter to a young man named Timothy, writes this, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Paul says, you want to experience what life is all about, true life? It's not in using whatever you can to help yourself. It's being rich in good works and taking and managing well what God has given you because you didn't bring any of it with you. You're not taking any of it with you, but you can send it ahead. You can lay it as a foundation by investing in things that have eternal significance. And maybe there is something more to money than using it for myself. Maybe God has blessed me to be a blessing and to make a difference in the world. Maybe all the things he's entrusted to me are actually a tool to be used to invest in something eternal. So what have I been given and how will I manage it? And people who experience true life have learned to ask these questions. What have I been given? How will I manage it? So let me give you, in the time we have left together, four financial vital signs. Uh, Just like we did with spiritual vital signs and relational vital signs, this is your, you know, take the pulse, blood pressure, temperature, heart rate, all those things. These are four basic relational health vital signs. Number one, a realistic budget. A realistic budget. Live in the framework of a realistic budget. This will bring peace to your life. Uh, There is more in the scriptures about this than you might think. In the book of Proverbs, the writer puts it this way. Do your planning and prepare your fields before building your house. Now, this is such good wisdom, right? They live in this agricultural society, and there's two categories and two sequences. He says, first prepare your fields and then build your houses. And here's the idea behind this. Financially, money flows in two directions, right? Money flows towards me and money flows away from me, right? And when money flows toward me, that's income. When money flows away from me, that's expenses. And if more is flowing towards me than is flowing away from me, that's good. It's called peace. 
And when more is flowing away from me than is flowing towards me, that's called stress. Right? And we all know that. And so in the ancient world, fields are actually income-producing, while houses are income-consuming. So when you got your field, it's actually money flowing toward you. Your house is money flowing away from you. And so the field is an asset. The house is a liability. And so the idea is figure out your income first, figure out your fields, and plant your fields and harvest your, your harvest, and then build your house. Because then you know what's come in, and you know exactly what size house to build so that you can afford. Figure out what your income is, then allot your expenses. Don't allow your expenses to get out beyond your income level, because when you do, there's enormous pain that follows. And everyone in the human race, when you think about this, kind of falls into one of two categories uh, financially. Nerds and hippies. And that's just, nerds are like, yes, budget. Talk to me more about this. Let's go. And then hippies are like, we'll figure it out. We'll just go with the flow, right? And here's what happens. This is like the law of human nature. I don't know how this works, but nerds always get married to hippies. Like, look at your marriage relationship. One of you is a nerd, one of you is a hippie. It just happens. That's why a lot of relational tension happens around money. Because one of you is trying to budget and the other one's trying to spend it all. And in our marriage relationship, I'm the hippie. Right? I'm just like, hey, whatever. And Cherry's the nerd. And I'm telling you, if I was not married to her, I would be living in a van down by the river. All right? This is the truth. And so I, I, every once in a while, I got to nerd it up. And I got to go, okay, let's make sure that I'm not putting us in trouble. And she's got the budget set. And I'll take the allowance that I have and, you know, do whatever. So check your vital signs. How are you doing living on a realistic budget? I, I know my income. And I'm making sure I don't spend more than that. I love this quote from John Maxwell. He says, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. That's peace. So a realistic budget, right? That's your first vital sign. Number two, freedom from debt. Freedom from debt. This one's huge. Debt is a crusher. Debt causes stress. Debt is why a lot of people are generous in their hearts, but they're not generous with their financial resources. Because they want to be generous, but they're not able to be as generous as they would like to be because they haven't dealt with this vital sign. And so uh, Proverbs 22, the author says this, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. So don't miss this. Financial freedom is not determined by how much you make. And that's the myth. That's one of the biggest myths in our society. Well, it's a belief that has led us in the wrong direction financially. If only I made more money, then I would be financially free. But it isn't about how much, it's about how you manage, right? And so if you can't live on what you're making right now, then you won't live on what you make then. That's just a principle. Financial freedom comes not from making more. Financial freedom comes from spending less. It's bringing my uh, income in line with my expenses and making sure, bringing my expenses in line with my income, making sure that I'm not spending more than I'm bringing in. And here's a great idea around this. It's always better to want something now than to owe something later. An unmet desire right now you can live with that. It's really difficult to met with an unmet debt later. I would rather want something now and not be able to get it than get it now and owe on it later. Don't buy into this myth, this idea that says, I can't afford to live on what I make. Here's the truth. You can't afford to live on what you make and maintain your current lifestyle. So if you want to get rid of debt and you want to experience peace, 
the way to do that is to make some changes in your life, to work towards freedom and margin, which ought to be very encouraging. My, my goal is not to stress you out. My goal is to give you some hope because that means no matter how much you make, you actually can be financially free. And you, you, all you have to do is bring your spending in line with your income. But here's why this is so difficult. We don't like to wait for stuff. We like to take shortcuts. It's just human nature. And that's not how things have always been. But now you can get so much on credit. Oh, just put it on credit, put it on credit. And you end up getting yourself in debt more than you ever thought you would. Some of you are old enough to remember something called layaway. It's just this crazy idea where you would like, you'd be like, hey, I want to buy this thing at your store, but I don't have all the money for it. And they're like, that's okay. We'll just lay it away for you until you can pay all of it off. Well, can I just take it now and pay you? And they're like, well, no, that's crazy. Uh, But you can make payments on it. And then once you've fully paid for it, then we'll give it to you. We'll just hold it behind the counter here. Lay away. We lay it away. And then here's what's crazy. Once you pay it off, you get it and it's brand new. Now what happens? By the time you're done paying something off in our society today, you don't even have it anymore. It's in shrink wrap in storage somewhere, right? You're like, oh yeah, I just finished paying off that thing. I'm not even using that anymore. It's already gone. Here's what, again, Paul writes to Timothy. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. He says, let me paint a picture for you. Here's what great wealth looks like. It's pursuing godliness with contentment. He says, that's great wealth. After all, We brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. Naked you were born, naked you'll return. He's like, that's it. That's it. We live in this country that is uh, built on advertising, and 100% of advertising is built on getting you to impulse buy. I've never seen an ad that says, man, this is a great product. Think about it for six months. Check your budget. You know, save for it. If it works out, come back and see us. Never seen that ad, right? Everything is about buy now, buy now, buy now, pay later. Sears makes more money on credit payments than they do on actual merchandise. Think about that. That's unbelievable. 90 days, same as cash. Can I tell you what's the same as cash? Cash is the same as cash. This just speaks to contentment. Paul Paul says, look, Timothy, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world. We're not taking any of it with us, but we can send it ahead. We can invest it in things that have eternal significance. So if you have debt, this is not a, we're trying to beat you over the head. That's not it at all. My challenge is to start getting out of debt as quickly as possible so that you can be as generous financially as you actually feel in your heart. And if that challenge feels overwhelming to you, I totally understand that. It's not a quick process. It it, it didn't take you, you know, you didn't get into debt overnight. You're not going to get out of debt overnight. But there's some things you can do that will lead to peace and financial freedom. You can downsize some things. You can sell some things. You can stop going out to eat. That's a crazy budget. Uh, Here's the biggest one of all. If you've got two, three, four things that you're paying on, pay the minimum on the biggest ones and start paying extra on the small one. And start paying extra so that you get that one paid off quickly. And then whatever you were paying plus the extra, start rolling that into the next biggest one until that's paid off. Then take that chunk, start rolling it into the next one. This is called the debt snowball. And it's amazing how quickly you can pay off debt when you put that into practice. But here's the reality. I know it's not easy. I'll tell you, Cherry and I, when we were first married, and we've been married for, we'll celebrate 23 years this year. uh, When we were first married, we made terrible decisions. We didn't know any of this stuff. 
And so we bought stuff on credit, and we, you know, we just made all kinds of bad decisions. And we got ourselves in, in some bad spots financially. But over the years, as we've learned, and as we've studied, and as we've figured out, and learned from others, and, and began to apply some of these principles, we've been able to not only climb out of debt, but have peace, and become more and more generous. Now, I want that for you. And so this is not to beat you over the head or to make you feel stressed. I want this for you. I want you to experience the peace and freedom that comes from getting out of debt and living life with generosity. Number three, wise saving. Again, the scriptures talk about this in such a practical way, about saving up for the future. In Proverbs 21, it says, The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. It's just burning a hole in their pocket. But the wise save it, right? One of the wisest things we can do is set a little bit aside for when we need it in the future. Because here's what life has taught us. Life has taught us that we should expect the unexpected. It's not really if, it's when. At some point, something's going to happen and you're going to need something. You're going to need that extra. And if you don't have some extra set aside, then when the unexpected happens in life, then you've got to go into debt again to pay for that. When you have it set aside, you're ready for it. Proverbs 27, the author says this, Know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds. For riches don't last forever, and the crown might not be passed to the next generation. Well, what does that mean? Because this is such an agricultural farming society, he's saying pay attention to what you've got and set some aside. And here's why. He says the crown might not be passed to the next generation. In other words, yeah, there's economic stability right now as long as this king is in power. But what happens when the crown moves to the next generation? What if it's not uh, economic stability? You, you want to make sure you've got something set aside so that you're ready. In other words, control the things that are streams of income now because you don't know what tomorrow holds. And wisdom suggests that we do everything we can to be prepared for the future, that we save. So these are just some financial vital signs. Checking your pulse, checking your, your temperature, right? Am I, am I um, setting a budget? Am I controlling my debt? Uh, am I saving for the future? And then number four, generous giving. Generous giving. A life that's generous and open-handed and wise, filled with wise stewardship. And the most important reason to manage your money is this. It's not your money. That's the most important reason to manage it well because it doesn't belong to you. You didn't bring it into the world. You're not taking it with you. And so the best thing that you can do with it is invest it in things that matter now. The vital sign that matters most on your financial dashboard is generosity. All through the scriptures, God speaks about the importance of being generous with whatever has been entrusted to you. Again, in Proverbs, the author writes this, the generous will prosper those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Those who live this way out of an abundance of generosity are actually refreshing themselves in the way that they live. In Proverbs 3, uh, King Solomon writes, Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. This is something that my wife and I have done uh, all of the years that we've been married. It's something that we've taught to our kids, uh, that we, we say give off the top, give God, back to God. And the scriptures talk about 10%, a tithe or a tenth. Everything that comes in. And so we, we've just taught our kids 10, 10, 80, 10% back to God through your local church. 10% into savings, live on 80. And if you do that from the time you get that first job, that first paycheck, every paycheck that comes in, 10, 10, 80, You'll always be generous, and you'll always have peace. You'll always have margin. It's such a simple way, right? Give, save, live on the rest. Give, save, live on the rest. And if you've attended Westbridge for any length of time, you've probably heard this before. 
Because this is what we want to drill down on our hearts because this is one of the best ways to live. And not because the church wants something from you. It's because I think God wants this for you. There's something that happens when you live open-handed that fills your life with joy. It's the best way to live. And it's almost like God realizes how much we struggle with this because he understands radical generosity fights against our own sort of idea of self-preservation. Okay, well, God, if I give, I mean, 10%, if I give that away, then how am I going to live? But here's the promise that God gives is that when we are generous with what he's entrusted to us, that he'll always provide for our needs. And it fills us with joy. A couple of years ago, um, Liam was turning six, and uh, his, my father-in-law, his grandpa, my wife's dad, uh, was giving him money for his birthday. And uh, the way that he chose to, gave, to give him this money was unbelievably hilarious. Uh, I was laughing the whole time, tears, like I was laughing so hard. And um, we actually filmed it. I want to show this to you just as an example of the joy that comes in generosity. Check this out. I get another hug. <laughs> well, it's all hug day. Well, no, I get another hug. <laughs> what do you say? Thanks. What do you say? Oh, here. Oh, it's a napkin. You don't want a napkin, do you? Oh, here's another one. So I had all that dollars on me. <laughs> oh, here's another one. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, here's oh, another one. It's just like Paul's birthday. <laughs> oh, I got an empty pocket. Oh, here's another one. Oh, look at his shoes. Oh, yeah. Another one. Leave it. Where'd they all come from? <laughs> I can't stand it myself. Oh! <laughs> That's all. That's all. That's all you get for now. Oh, but now I found another one. I can't believe it. How many you got? Oh, thank you. Oh, thank God. Two of them. Oh, I found two of them there. Wow. Wow, I get two of them for that one. One. <laughs> oh, I got a headache from laughing. You're welcome. Oh, I don't have any more. Yes, I do. Oh, now I'm really broke. Could have just given him a 20, but instead he gave him 20 singles and just every, I, I couldn't believe it. I felt like this was Groundhog's Day. This is never going to end. This is hysterical. And I'm crying, laughing. I mean, I just, it was so unexpected. Nobody knew he was going to do that. 
And it makes me, that, that image just makes me wonder, like, I feel like it wasn't even about the amount. It was just about the joy of giving. And it was like, man, I don't just want to give once. He was like, I want to give it to him 20 times in a row. And then you hear, you hear grandpa say, like, I'm laughing so hard. I'm having more fun than he is. And I wonder sometimes if that isn't what God does with us. And he's just like, hey, here's some more. And then he's like, oh, no, I got more. Oh, no, no, I'm never running out. Because the truth is, God is a good father who loves to give us good things. He just wants us to have the right mindset that has been entrusted to us by him and recognize he's really the source of it all and his pockets never run out. And when Cherry and I, uh, you know, got married, we struggled with this because we didn't make very much money. And so we determined, okay, if we wanted God to be involved in our finances, then we've got to handle our finances God's way. We've got to do that. And so we just made that determination. And I'm telling you, I'm so, so glad that we did. And when we, we receive prayer requests all the time here at Westbridge from people who are looking for financial help, help, financial assistance, and everybody needs help from time to time. That's totally normal. But here's what's fascinating to me is when I have conversations with people sometimes about, uh, hey, we just really are praying that God will come through in our finances. And then when you have conversations with them about, well, how are you handling your finances? You're giving out of what he's entrusted to you already, right? Well, no, we don't really do that. And it's always fascinating to me because what we're saying is this, God, I, I want you to intervene in my finances as long as it works, that like work it out for me, but I don't want to be obedient to you when things are going well. When I have it, I don't want to be obedient to you in that area, but I need you to come through and be involved in my finances. I just don't want to handle my finances the way you've asked me to the rest of the time. And there's such an incongruence to that. And that's not to beat anybody over the head or to make you feel guilty. It's simply to make you aware. Cherry and I were challenged in this early on in our marriage, and we just determined we've got to do this. From a spiritual perspective, every time that you give to God first, what you're saying is this, God, I'm communicating faith in you. I'm communicating that I'm going to give you a percentage of what you've entrusted to me, and, and I'm trusting that you're going to provide for me to live on the rest. So it's an act of faith. You're saying, I want my trust to be in you and not in my financial resources. I want my trust to be in you. You're the source of it all anyways, and you'll provide for my needs. From a practical perspective, every time that you give back to God through your local church, you're making an eternal investment in what God is doing through Westbridge Church. Last year, we had 72 people during one of our services check a box and say, hey, I prayed a prayer to start following Jesus. That's amazing. But that doesn't happen without a place to invite them, without the resources that you've given so generously as a church family. And because of your generosity, you are a part of every single one of those stories. You're in the background of every one of those stories of people who have lives changed because of your generosity. That's amazing. And it's never intended by God to be an obligation or a chore or to be observed in, with a grudging spirit. That's why the Apostle Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, since you excel in so many ways, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. And you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. And you will always have everything you need and plenty left, left over to share with others. When he just says, when you live this way and you do it out of a heart of gratitude and not because you feel obligated, but because you recognize how much God has entrusted to you, then guess what? God's pockets never run out and he provides for all your needs and you always have enough to be generous. And there's just something about living that way. And I, I can tell you, here's how we've applied that as a church. 
This is absolutely amazing. I want to share some of these numbers just from, just from 2021. To our global partners, we have five global partners that we partner with on a regular basis each month. And our, uh, we've sent teams to a couple of them. Uh, some of these global partners we haven't been able to send teams to uh, just be in the last couple of years because of everything that's going on. But we still continue to support them financially. And there are people that are on the ground in different parts of the world making a difference. In 2021, we gave away to our global partners $96,870 in 2021, just to those five global partners. Yeah, it's amazing. That's more than we've ever given away just to the global partners. That's just to them. And then we gave away to uh, Help for the Hurting Home, which helps with um, people walking through divorce, headquartered out of this church. Uh, we've got, we gave $6,000 to support them. Another $6,000 to our friends at Courageous Love, who are building homes and rescuing kids out of trafficking in Thailand. Now, we gave another $3,000 to the YWAM locally that's helping uh, with people here in the cities. Uh, we gave another $3,000 to Arrive Ministries in St. Cloud, uh, working with refugees. Uh, we gave, uh, raised another $38,000 for Venture, which is helping with feeding programs in Southeast Asia. And then on top of all of that, that was all given. On top of all of that, what came in in our legacy offering was another $86,549. So the grand total of all of that is this year, $239,419 that will go to make a difference around the world. I mean, that is unbelievable. And so that's money that this church has given. Every time that you give to Westbridge Church, we, we take 10% and we give it away. And so we're, we want you to know as leadership of this church, we're doing the same thing that we're asking you to do. That We're saying this, man, you're making a huge difference. This is, this is children being fed. This is children being rescued out of human trafficking. This is the message of the love of Jesus being shared with hundreds and thousands of people who need to know that they're loved. Because faithful generosity isn't just something that's taught in the scriptures. I want you to know. I want you to hear this. It's modeled by the leadership of this church. And we want to do that because we never want to ask you to do something that we're unwilling to lead the way in. And so we want you to hear that. We want you to celebrate that. And we're going to continue to live that way as a church. So here's the bottom line. We have been blessed to be a blessing. We have been blessed to be a blessing. Generosity is not just a means to help us accomplish our mission. Generosity is the mission. That's the mission. See, God isn't just asking us to be generous so we can continue to support homes in, hot in Thailand and, and global partners around the world and welcoming refugees. And, uh, you know, uh, he's not just asking us to be generous so we can continue to create incredible environments for students and kids here at Westbridge Church. Generosity is the mission. Why? Because it makes us more like Jesus. When you have a generous spirit, you don't just give financial resources. You give forgiveness when someone hurts you. When you have a generous spirit, you give compassion when others need it. When you have a generous spirit, you give your time to serve others. Having a generous spirit doesn't just change things out there for people. It does that, but it doesn't only do that. It also changes things in here, in me, in our own hearts, as we become more and more generous. And so I'm always going to call us to places of greater sacrifice and generosity because I want us to be more like Jesus and because I want to be more like Jesus. And here's what we're going to get all along the way. Not only will it change us, we get to accomplish all of that other stuff out there as well. It's such an incredible way to live life. And so Cherry and I have been doing this our entire marriage. For the last almost 23 years, we've lived this way. I started doing this when I was 13 years old, and I got my first job. We're, we've raised our kids to do this. Give 10% off the top, 10% to savings, live on the rest. My 15-year-old daughter is doing this. She has a job at Dunn Brothers making mad cash. And we set her up 
set her up on our app, set her up on her, she has a, her own bank account now. We got it all set up. And every time she gets paid, she goes, okay, how do I do this? 10% to the church, 10% I put in savings. And, and, and with her at her age, I'm going, put 20% in savings, right? <laughs> Let's do that. Let's go 10, 20, 70. You can do that right now. And every time she gets paid, she does it. It's just a good way to live. And we have all been blessed differently, but we have all been blessed. I don't say that to make you feel guilty. I say it because I want to make you aware. God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. He wants you to be able to live this way. And God doesn't ask us to give all of it back to him, but he doesn't want us to spend all of it on ourselves either. And maybe you started doing this at one point and life got in the way, COVID hit, uh, you got out of the routine, life hit. I mean, whatever reason, no problem. Can I just encourage you to, again, to be faithful in this area? Not because we need it, not because God needs it, not because the church needs it, but because when you do this, it's the best way to live. And God wants you to experience what it's like to live that way. Your faith grows and God's kingdom moves forward. And to those of you who do this, when you hear a message like this and you're already giving consistently, you're just like, thank you. I love hearing that message. I was talking to somebody after first service and they're like, I love hearing that message. Because when you're already living this way, it's just a confirmation. And so for so many of you who already do this, please hear me sincerely. Thank you, thank you, thank you for continuing to do that because it makes a difference. You are making a difference. And for those of you that would say, you know, I'm not living that way, but I want to move towards that. Take a step and move in that direction. Use these financial vital signs and say, okay, how can I start that in 2022? Begin to live generously with what God has entrusted to you. One of the most famous verses in all of the scripture, probably the most popular quoted verse in, in the Bible is John 3.16. And it goes like this. For God so loved the world that he gave. There's something about love and generosity that go hand in hand. It's really difficult to love and not be generous. And God so loved you. God so loved me that he gave. He gave his one and only son. He gave him to the world. So that anyone who puts their trust in him, anyone who believes, anyone who puts their trust in Jesus and begins to follow him will not die. Your body will die, but you won't die. You will live forever. You will experience eternal life. And so Jesus came into this world as a gift from God. And this incredible expression of love and generosity allowed himself to be put to death. His body was laid in a tomb. And according to multiple eyewitness accounts, he rose from the dead. And that means death is not the end. There's more to this life than this life. And you've been invited to be a part of God's family. And you don't earn your way in. You don't behave your way in. You don't church attend your way in. It's just an invitation that's been extended to you. And it also helps us realize that because Jesus overcame death and there is eternity, that whatever I've been entrusted in this life, my resources, I can actually invest that in things that have eternal significance. And so if you've never said yes to the invitation to be a part of God's family, I want to invite you to say yes to following Jesus, to surrender your life. That means you're saying, God, I want to give you control of the steering wheel of my life. I want to surrender to you and I want to live life your way. And as best as I know how, I'm going to follow your way of living life. And if you've never done that before, you can just agree with this prayer as we close. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for those times where I've lived life my own way and I've walked away from you and I thank you that you never walk away from me. And I want to say yes to the invitation to be a part of your family. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. And then help me. Give me the, the strength and the wisdom as best as I know how to follow your way of living life from this moment on. And God, I pray for every one of us who are doing our best to follow you. We just pray that when it comes to this area of financial resources, that you'd give us the wisdom 
to live in a budget, to, to get rid of debt, God, to, to save wisely so that we can give generously. Many of us are generous in our hearts, but we want to be more generous with our resources. And so may we move in that direction, knowing that God so loved the world that he gave. And may we, as a church, make a difference here in our community and around the world. I pray this in your name. Amen.